0: Just a blessing, amen? amen? Thank you very much. Let's stand for the reading of the Scriptures this morning. John chapter 9, John chapter 9. Thank you for being here, Dr. R., Mrs. R., West Coast Baptist College Ensemble. And we're praying this morning, this service for you who are visitors and returning visitors and members of the church will be a blessing to you. John chapter 9. Look around you. If your neighbor around you doesn't have a Bible or specifically they don't have a King James Version translation, would you share your Bible with them? And make sure they're right in their place. We'll be in John chapter 9 the whole morning here. And we're just praying for God to do a great work in our hearts. While you're doing that, I'm encourage you to be back tonight at 5.30 for the evening service. We have a missionary that's going to be part of the service tonight who has been working in the country of Laos. It's a restricted access nation, doing an incredible work for God. He's already started two, maybe three churches there in Laos. And we're just thankful for his sending church as well as for him. But I want you here tonight uh, to hear his testimony and see what the work of God is doing over there in the country. By the way, aren't you glad God's just working around the world? Amen. And we're glad God's going to work here today at Heritage Baptist. His church, John chapter nine. Let's do this. I'm going to read the odd number of verses. I want you to read the even number of verses. We will read together on verse seven. Are We good with that? Amen. You got. You got to help me some more. You're going to be here all morning today, but Dr. Arm won't make it down to his next appointment if you if you guys don't get with it. You're going to be with it tonight, yeah. this morning. All right, good. All right. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. All together. Jesus answered, Neither has this man sin, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. Congregation, I must work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Congregation. Let's read together verse 7. And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. You know, one of the most beautiful things about reading the Bible is how colorful the Bible is. It just comes alive. Imagine here a story here. Jesus has just come outside the temple. He's passing by. Everybody else ignored this man, but there's a blind man there. And Jesus took simple mud, touched this man's eyes. This man went to the pool of Siloam, washed his eyes, and he came seeing. You'll notice as we go down to verse 20, 25, the man's testimony The last part of verse 25, the man made a statement, which is the title of the message. He said, one thing I know. By the way, there's one thing you need to know this morning. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Our Father, today, thank you so much for our hearts have been encouraged and edified by the Bible. Our message from our good friend, Dr. R. Thank you for the songs that the Revival Trio sang this morning and the piano accompaniment. Thank you they sang from their hearts. They sang with intention and burden that, Lord, that a spirit revival would touch this church. I'm thankful for our members. I'm thankful for our guests here today. We're thankful, Lord, for just the great things you've been doing at Heritage Baptist Church. But, Lord, once and again, we we need you to just help us to, to be still today and to know that you're God. And, Lord, as we sit down, we pray, as this man did later on, as we'll see in the passage, he came and worshiped Jesus. We pray, Father, that we come with a great desire, great intensity to soak up the Word of God. A great intensity to, Lord, be in your presence. A great desire, Lord, that our eyes would be open to behold the wonderful things of God. Father, we need to hear from you today. We pray this morning that the Spirit of God would open our eyes as you did with this man. Help us to see our need. Help us to see our area. Help us to see the things that, God, you want us to see that will change our life. Bless the service that those without Christ would be saved today. Bless the service today. Perhaps those who are discouraged and struggling in some area of their faith, they would be encouraged by the Lord. Use today for your glory and praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As far as I know, everybody in this world, I mean, everybody in this room is able to see. We may not all have 20-20 vision, but I think everybody here in this room is able to see. But can you imagine living in a world of complete darkness? Of being born blind, not being able to grasp colors and shapes and descriptions, facial features. Being able to grasp or comprehend as somebody describes an object that you're trying in your mind to understand it, but you don't know what they're talking about. Can you imagine a world that is shrouded in complete darkness and not being able to see? Can you imagine what a tragedy it would be to be born blind and not able to see? But equally tragic is having sight and not being able to see. This morning as we look at John chapter 9, we see a continuation where we spent the last couple times in John chapter 8. Jesus, as we get into John chapter 9, it's at the close of the Feast of the Tabernacles. You remember at the Feast of the, Clo- of the Tabernacles, that every day of the Feast, that the Jews would light up these four large, large torches that would be right in the middle of the city. And those torches that would be lit up, they would light them up, and the, these men would come up with ladders to them, and they would pour water into these, these containers, that, excuse me, oil in these containers that would, would feed the fuel there. And as the torches went up at night, the entire city of Jerusalem would be lit up like a candle it would just be lit up on high I believe when Jesus spoke about in the gospels about a city shining brightly on a hill I think he had in mind Jerusalem during the feast of the tabernacle when those torches were lit up and as he got to the end of that feast of the tabernacles, Jesus could pronounce of who he was in deity. He pronounced to all of those Jews, all of those Pharisees, all of them there that were there with suspicion and cynicism about his about his ministry. He said, "I am the light of the world." And Jesus, he said that he's still on a continuation of that because we notice that is such an important theme, such an important aspect of his deity. We find in uh, on John chapter nine, verse five, he makes mention of again. He says in chapter nine, verse five, "As long as I am in the world." I am the light of the world. And then again later on in chapter 12, verse 35, he says the same thing. Jesus is now making his way outside the city. He has made, he's made his way out there. He's had conversation with the Pharisees. They're not very happy of his pronouncement. They, they come to him and they're trying to find aspersions and, and problems with him. And as they do so, they say, well, Abraham's our father, and Jesus equates the fact that he he and the Father are one and the same, and he just does a wonderful job in John chapter 8, as we saw last time, of equating how he and the Father are co-equal, he and the Father are co-eternal, he and the Father are co-essential. He's basically saying, God the Father and I are one and the same. Of course, the Jews didn't want to hear that. They rejected his deity, and they kept on claiming the fact that Abraham was their father. So, as we get down to the end of chapter 8, notice this, at the end of chapter 8, Jesus makes statement because he's, he's moving towards something because we have to remember as we go through the gospel of John or any of the gospels, Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus is all-powerful. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus can be anywhere at any time, but at this moment of time, he wanted them to understand that he's all-knowing. And so the Jews which had rejected the fact that Jesus and the Father one and the same, that Jesus is God, Jesus made this statement to them in John 8, 56. Would you look at it please? He said, your father Abraham rejoiced, notices to see my day. He was saying, you know, Abraham, way before I before I made my entrance into this world as, as, as the incarnate son of God, he said, Abraham saw my day. Abraham faith to see the day that Jesus would make his appearance. Abraham, he said, saw my day. And he said, and he was glad. And when the Jews got upset with that, they said in verse 57, Thou art not yet 50 years old. Hast thou seen Abraham? And notice this wonderful proclamation Christ makes. Jesus said unto them, Verily, Verily, verily I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. When he made that statement, we see in this closing verse in chapter 8, the Jews were angry. They picked up stones as far as they were concerned. They felt like Jesus was blaspheming God. And they picked up stones with the intent of wanting to hurt him. And the Bible tells us as we transition out of chapter 8 to verse 59, uh, chapter 8 to chapter 9, it says in verse 59 that Jesus hid himself and went out of the midst of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Jesus, now is realizing that they are at a place where they're vehemently angry with him and they want to hurt him but he's not done with ministry because along the way we get into chapter 9 Jesus is still not done pronouncing and having them see the fact that he is the light of the world and you notice as we get into chapter 9 Jesus talks about Abraham having seen his day and Jesus in verse 1 it says he passed by and he saw a man blind from his birth The object of all of chapter 9 is about a man that's blind. A man who Christ would touch and his eyes would be open and for the first time in his life he'd be able to see. Yeah. And the Bible says here that Christ was concerned because a blind man would be able to see but seeing men were not able to see. Seeing men had no sight. Seeing men, they couldn't grasp the fact that God the Son was there in their midst. That God the Son was declaring his deity. All of his miracles that he did up to chapter 9 had had, had just demonstrated and declared who he was, but they could not see it. They could see, but they had had sight, but they could not see. Oh, what a terrible thing, brother and sister in Christ and friend here today, if you're not saved, to be able to have sight and not being able to see. They couldn't see who he was, and yet Jesus Jesus takes this as an opportunity, perhaps a man that people had ignored every single day of the week, a man had been placed there every single day to beg and ask for arm, for for financial support. Jesus would choose to take this man as an object lesson and to show the love of God and the power of God in people's life. This morning, I want us to see the truth concerning blindness and sight. I want us to see a man who said, I was blind, but now I see. I want you to see three truths out of this this morning very quickly that will help us in our faith and help us as we leave today as we seek to get closer to God and know what God wants us to do. Number one, I want you to notice this blind man and his malady. This blind man and his malady. The Bible says here, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Now, Everybody knew this man was blind from his birth. Somewhere along the way, someone told somebody, somebody told somebody else. Jesus, because he's all-knowing, knew this man was blind from his birth. He didn't get blind. He wasn't blinded because of an industrial accident. He wasn't blinded because someone gouged out his eyes. This man was born blind from his birth. Blindness is the inability to see. Blindness is your inability to grasp what other people can see. When you're blind, you're walking around and if you're not very careful, you could be walking around and you could bump into things. When you're blind, if you're not very careful you can have an accident and and injure yourself. When you're blind, especially in those days, you're dependent upon someone else to lead you around. Someone else has to be your set of eyes. When you're blind, you don't understand what it means to touch things and to know what it is. I could go here as a blind man and touch a chair but I don't understand what a chair is. I could sit on it but I don't understand what a chair is. We can go around and someone can say, oh there's Johnny and there's Susie. But they but as a blind person, you may know them by name, but you really are trying to comprehend what it is that they look like. Listen, a person who's blind lives in a world of darkness. Things, shapes, and designs and colors and features have no comprehension to a blind person. They live in a world of disadvantage. They live in a place where they're wondering, what does this all mean? This man was born blind and his presumed destiny was as he became an adult that he would beg for the rest of his life. Can you imagine such a destiny? He's born. His parents realize his son can't see. They have pity for him. They love him. They care for him, but they knew back in that time that his destiny would be as he became of age that he would have to de- he would have to support himself by being a beggar. Can you think of anything lower about a person's life that he's blind, he cannot see, he cannot play sports, he cannot run, he cannot jump like other people jump, he cannot engage himself in other people's activities, he's left on the outside. Can you imagine this man being taken by someone and led by the hand by someone else and led to the temple at a spot where hopefully he would not trip up someone and he would sit there, he would stand there and he would beg for. He would say, would you give me some moms? Could you help me? This man was dependent upon people supporting him with whatever they would give to help this man. Here was a man that in his malady was presumed to be like that for the rest of his life. He was born like that and was presumed he would die like that. This man would be pitied, but this man would be ignored. Can you imagine this man standing there? His eyes are closed. He's blind, asking for money. And every day we'd go through that routine and those would come by, perhaps a religious leader of that time. They would get to the place where they were used to that man begging. They were used to that man crying for alms. They were used to this man and his disablement and his malady and his impairment that he was not able to see. May I say something to this morning? It can happen to you and me that we can get so used to people around us being unsaved and so used to people being blinded from Christ that we just get used to that condition and use that situation. And if we're not very careful, we're like those people that walk by. We could wind up ignoring this man. This man could not see. This man was physically blind. Can you imagine if someone came alongside him, Dr. R, and they said something like this. They said, well, can you imagine? Oh, these beautiful roses that are blooming. Or can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine? Oh, the grapes are growing on the vines there. Can you imagine? He would say something like this. Thank you for telling me that, but I cannot see. Thank you for sharing that with me, but I cannot see. Thank you for telling me that Susie's here and Billy's here, but I cannot see. Oh, this man was physically blind. The Bible says this man was blind from his birth. But may I say this morning, there's not only physical blindness, there's spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is our inability to see through the windows of our soul. Spiritual blindness is our inability to see by faith. Spiritual blindness is your inability in mind of seeing what God wants us to see. May remind you, first of all, this morning, that there's the blindness that Satan brings upon the minds of every unbeliever from seeing the truth. Second Corinthians 4 4 says, In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I remind you this morning, especially if you're here today and you're not saved. If you're here today and perhaps you're asking asking questions. You're here today and you're confused because you've heard from the Jehovah Witnesses and you've heard from those who advocate Islam. And you've heard from those who advocate Jehovah Witness Jehovah Witness teachings or whatever it may be. Perhaps you're here and you're confused and wondering what that's all about. May I tell you this morning, Satan's number one goal is to keep you in the dark. He blinds the minds of them that believe not. Satan's goal is to keep you uh, to get you to be naive, to naively accept the lies of the truth of the gospel. I reminded this morning I was sharing with one of our staff yesterday of a lady who recently got saved and one of our soul winners and I were at their door about, about two months ago and we got to share the gospel with his dear precious lady. She might be here today and uh, she said, Pastor Fong, I just want you to know I've had a lot of people come by this place. I've had the Mormons come here and the Jehovah Witnesses come here and I've had the Muslims come here and so forth there. And so of course my heart was just grieving for her because she desperately wanted to know the truth and we took some time to explain the gospel to her and as we explained the gospel her eyes were open, thank God, and she trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. But after she trusted Christ her Savior, I normally don't ask this question. But I said, ma'am, do you have a Bible in your house? And she said, I do. I said, do you mind getting your Bible so I can take a look at it? And she brought a book to me, and it was not the Bible. It was called the New World Translation. I said, ma'am, this is not the Bible. I said, your confusion to the fact that you've been reading this book. I said, do you mind if I just take this book from you and let me give you the authentic Word of God? Amen. Amen. Good. Satan wants to blind your mind. Satan wants to keep in the dark. Satan wants to keep you from getting saved. Satan wants to keep you from going to heaven. Hey, there's the darkness. There's the blinding of the minds of every unbeliever. Let me say this morning, you might be looking at social media. and You may be reading what's in the the news today. And you might be hearing from your peers and your friends. May I remind you today, don't test the Bible to what they say. Test what they say to the Bible. Let your eyes be opened by going to the Bible, the Word of God. There's there's the blindness that Satan caused. But I remind you today among Christians, because probably about 95% of the People here this morning. You're all born-again believers, and just like those who got baptized today, you can probably give a very solid, compelling testimony about your faith in Jesus Christ. But there are Christians who are blinded with what the Bible calls nearsightedness and cannot see the importance of growing in the Christian life. Now I have I wear prescription glasses. I'll be honest with you. I I probably would be blind if I could could not wear these. You wouldn't want me driving without my glasses. That would be very fatal for all of us. That wouldn't be very good. And I have what they call myopia or nearsightedness. And the Bible happens to tell us about this, this, this condition called myopia, or nearsightedness. Which you notice in your notes, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. Peter, he's writing there, he's telling these believers about the precious promises of God. And he tells them about these wonderful promises that God has given us. And he tells us about this wonderful power that God has given us. And it's nestled in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's concerned about the faith of these believers. And God is concerned about your faith and my faith. And he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 5, he says, And beside this... Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and the brotherly kindness charity. What you notice in verses 5 to 7 for just a moment, if you'll park there. Peter is writing to believers just like you and me. And he's telling them it's a wonderful thing that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a wonderful thing that you can point point to the day that you're born again into the family of God. Amen. It's a wonderful thing to know that your sins are forgiven and that your name is written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. It's a wonderful thing to know that. But listen, salvation stopped, starts with faith, but it doesn't stop with faith. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1, we need to add to our faith. We need, how many understand adding means that you're doing more, amen? You're doing more, you're adding more. That means it gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better. And so we have to realize that in our we don't stop at faith, we keep adding. And so it lists these seven increments of grace that we add to our faith. This is how we measure, are we growing in the Lord? This is how we measure, are we able to understand the things of God. There are many new Christians here today in this room. Many of you have trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior. And when we open a book, uh, uh, one of the books of the Bible, you read from those verses and you kind of think, wow, this is very overwhelming and I've got to read this again. And you start reading through the Bible and you realize it's just a vast, comprehensive book and you feel a little bit adequate. Like many of us have felt like when we first got said, you felt a little bit inadequate about yourself. But the Bible encourages us to, in increments. We're to grow in increments. We're climbing the stairs and we're taking an ascent upward on the mountain and we're taking one step at a time. And so the Bible's encouraging us that we need to add to our faith. In fact, we need to give diligence to add to our faith. If I can tell you anything this morning, I want to encourage you to be diligent today about your Christian faith. I want to encourage you this morning to diligently say, you know, I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to pray. And maybe some of you recently got saved. You need to take the next step, as those four did today, that you want to follow, follow the five did today, and follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. You want to add to your faith. You want to build your faith. You want to be strong in the the Lord. You want to understand the things of God. But notice verse, verse 8 and 9, it says something else here. It says, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> God's will for your life is that you abound that you're fruitful in his knowledge, that you're not barren in your life. But he said in verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. Hey, there's there could be some of us here today as Christians that you're spiritually blinded. Yes, you're saved and yes, you saw the light of the gospel and you accepted Christ as your Savior but perhaps this, you're, you're blinded because you're not growing, you're nearsighted. The Bible says you cannot see these things afar off and you've forgotten that you've been purged from your sins. I'm thankful we're about to enter the month of June and as we do so we need to kind of recalibrate our Christian lives say well, how am I growing this year and how am I doing in my walk and how is God well how does God see my walk in the faith and I just want to encourage you today as your pastor grow in the Lord. Amen. Take some time to take those incremental steps and grow in Jesus Christ and to taste and see that the Lord is gracious. Oh we see that Satan blinds the minds of every believer and we see that Christians can be blinded and they're not growing in the faith but we notice something else here: Spiritual blindness When spiritual blindness occurs in the life of a believer, it causes us to see our problems instead of seeing the possibilities. Now, I don't know if you're like that, but sometimes we can get this place in our life. We see the problems more than our possibilities. We see the obstacles and not the opportunities. We see the problem instead of seeing God. We see a difficulty instead of seeing what God has in mind. I call your attention quickly to 2 Kings chapter 6. And the Bible has an interesting story about about someone just like that. It's about a believer who saw a problem but didn't see the possibilities. The Bible speaks about the servant of of a great prophet by the name of Elisha. And the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 6, 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and, and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servants said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall he do? And he answered that is Elisha, he answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. By the way, that still applies today, amen? God is with them, more that be with us and they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Oh, do you see the picture here? This young man got up and the Syrians had sent a large group of people there a large army that surrounded Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city on a hill, and that city was surrounded. And he got up early one morning, he looked out, and he saw the city encompassed with all these horses and all these soldiers and all these Syrians. And the first thing came to his mind, he panicked. You know, that's what happens when we get a bad diagnosis, when we get bad news, when we're let go from our job, when our investments tank, when something bad happens, when somebody passes away, when something unexpected happens, we we are gripped with a sense of unexpectation of these things and we're saddened and we're overwhelmed by these things and we're not very careful. We let the circumstances dictate our attitude and here this, this man who had been in this presence of Elisha, the man of God, who if anything else, in the presence of that man of God, should have learned something about faith and learned something about trusting God but he saw this great, great group of people and the first thing came to his mind was panic and franticness and he thought we're going to be consumed and we're going to be killed. He thought of all the worst case scenario you go through that and I go through that something bad happens. You think the worst case scenario, things are racing through your mind and you're wondering, how's this all going to turn out? And this servant of the man of God came running to Elisha early that morning and he said, sir, he said, last master, how should we do? He said, master we're in trouble. Master, this could be it. Master, we're going to perish. He said master, what do we do about all this? But thank God, Elisha was a man who was up early also but he didn't see problems. He saw possibilities. And Elisha didn't see he didn't see the enemies of God overcoming him. He saw God overcoming the enemies of God. He saw it. He didn't see Problems, he saw possibilities. He didn't see obstacles. He didn't, he saw opportunities. He didn't see a de- he didn't see a defeat. He saw victory. May I remind you today. No matter what comes into your life, no matter what diagnosis you may get, no matter what the devil may whisper in your mind. May I remind you today that greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. May I remind you today. Don't see obstacles. See opportunities. Don't see problems. See possibilities. Don't see it at the end of the day. Say it's the beginning of God. Do something great in your life and mind. And Elisha said to that young man, he said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, young man. I'm going to pray that God will open your eyes. And he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And he prayed for this young man. And the man, when he opened his eyes again, the young man saw the possibilities and not the problems. He saw God and not the devil. He saw, he saw victory, not defeat. And the Bible says here, he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Helen Keller said this, and she was a blind woman who got her sight back. The most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight, who has no vision. Oh, this morning we see the blind man in his malady. But you notice quickly this morning the crux of our message. Notice as we get to verses 3 through 7, we not only see the blind man in his malady, but you notice we see the blind man in his miracle. Amen. This man was doing what he did every day. He stood at the same corner, hoping someone would give him some money from sunup to sundown. He'd beg for alms. He'd beg for someone to care for him. Some days he'd have good collection days. Most days he had bad collection days. He really didn't know. All he knew is this, that whatever it's given, I've got to live off that. And on this day, this man would have an encounter that would change his life. He reminds you this morning that every time we come to church, there's an encounter that could change your life. Amen? Amen. Remind you this morning that every time the precious Word of God is open, you spend a little bit of time reading it. Or you get on your knees and start praying. That encounter with God could be the very thing that could change your life. And this man, as we see here, he's going to come. He's going to encounter our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. On this day, on that particular day, Jesus would perform a powerful miracle in this man's life. Would you notice how Jesus performs this miracle? Would you notice with me how Jesus just kind of involves himself in this man's problem, his malady? The first thing you'll notice in verse 1, we see the personal compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. now Not about you, but I pass by a lot of things. We we live in a we live in a commuter society. I get in a car, I pass a lot of things, and I don't really take notice. Some things. Sometimes my wife and I'll be driving. I'll be driving. She says, "Did you see that?" I said, "Honey, I, I like to see it, but I got to keep my eyes on the road." Amen. you know, did you see this? And I don't know about you, but you know, one of the, one of the things that kind of aggravates me about our traffic here in the Bay Area, or about perhaps anywhere in California, is people like to stop and look at somebody else's misery. They just like to. Stop Stop in the middle of freeway. They want to stop and look at somebody else's misery instead of keep on going, get out of the way. And uh, you know, thank God they at least they stop. I just keep on going. Amen. I just don't stop by it. But on that particular day, this blind man who had been previously ignored, this blind man, people turned to deaf ear to his cries. The Bible says Jesus passed by. Now, when it says passed by, He passed purposely in this man's presence. He passed His way. Can I tell you this morning? You're not just passing through the service. Jesus is passing Your way. Jesus is passing across Your seat. Jesus is passing through your your aisle. Jesus is passing across your mind. Jesus is passing. Why? Why? Because Jesus wants your attention. Jesus wants you to see him. Jesus wants you to know that you are important to him and that he's important to you. Jesus passes by his way. This man was begging, but somebody got, 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 got a concern for him. And somebody was burned about this man. He saw this man which was blind from his birth. Jesus fixed his eyes on this man, not as a spectacle, but because he was special. Listen, people looked at him and they said, oh, pity that man. Jesus looked at that man. He just didn't have pity on him. He said, I'm going to do something for that man today. Now, I don't know what your burden is today. Now, I don't know what your problem is today. And I don't know what your prayer request is today. But Jesus is passing your way today. And he wants to give you attention. He wants you to realize today he's there for you just as he was for that blind man. This man was a man who was ignored and nobody had pity for. But Jesus stopped for this man. He showed personal compassion. He showed his compassion. And compassion is when you stop for a moment to care for somebody. As Dr. Lee Robertson has said many times, compassion is your hurt in my heart. Compassion is caring for someone else. Compassion is rolling up your sleeves and coming alongside that person. Compassion is reaching your pocket and taking some extra money out and putting their hand. Compassion is taking their place and doing something for them. The Bible says whenever Jesus looked on the Multitudes. He had compassion. D.L. Moody said this, he is a loving. Tender hand, full of sympathy and compassion. God, help us today to have the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, help us today to pass by the highways and hedges and to see them and compel them to come in that the house of God may be filled. May God help you and I not just to pass by them, but to pass by and stop and see a blind man along the way and see a deaf man along the way and see a lame man along the way. May God help you and I to have the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't go to your apartment and don't go to your neighborhood and don't go to the shopping mall and don't go to the outlets and don't go on to the public transportation the same way that you did yesterday and the day before and ignored all the cries and the things that are going on there and just going on your way. Have compassion. Pass by but notice something wrong. Pass by and notice somebody needs a track. Pass by and notice that somebody needs Jesus Christ as their Savior. Oh, we see Lord, the personal compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice verses 2 to 5. We see the piercing conviction. Now Jesus is in the process getting ready to do the miracle but you have to understand Jesus could have just gone to him and said okay you got your eyesight back no he was teaching his disciples about compassion he was teaching the people around him about compassion by the way aren't you glad today that we have a God who loves us a God who cares a God who's tender hearted towards you and me and notice this as as he's about ready to say something or his disciples spoke up and they did something that was common among the Jews that day they asked a question they said master that's a good way of learning you need to ask questions amen We never tire of asking questions. If you're not asking questions, you're not learning. Amen. You've got to ask questions. And they said, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now these these men wanted to get into a discussion with Jesus. That was common in those days. They wanted to find out what's his condition. Was he being punished? Was God angry with this man? Was God angry with this man? Or was God angry with his parents here? And Jesus was not going to allow them to draw him into the discussion here. And we have to realize today that Jesus just, just brought things back into, back into the process of focus so they'd understand what's going on. And Jesus, Jesus firmly but lovingly answered them. And verse 3 says, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. And then notice this next phrase. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now what's he saying here? Listen, yes, this man is blind. This man was born blind. And God, God didn't afflict with the blindness because God hated him or God was trying to punish him. And yes, he said, no, this man wasn't born blind because of, necessarily because of his sin or because of his parents' sin. But he said, I want you to see the bigger picture in all this. He said, there's something far bigger than you comprehend. And don't get off in discussions about why this happened and that happened. We have to understand God has a purpose behind things. I may mean, say this morning, your trial you're going through, your difficulty you're going through, your problem you're going through, God has a purpose. He's trying to accomplish through that. First God, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And notice Jesus said in verse 3 that, that he says, this, this man is blind that the works of God should be made manifest in this man. Jesus passed by so that he could do the work of God. He says God wants to do something through his, this man's life. Now, let's look at our life for just a minute. You might be frustrated with your life or you might just be excited about your life. I hope you're excited about your life. You might be down about your life. You may be joyous about your life. You may be discouraged about your life. You may be happy about your life. But listen, God is going to do a work in your life regardless of that if you allow him to work in your life there. And notice this man here. Jesus said, this this man has his malady because God wants to do a work in his life. And so Jesus makes a statement that's very powerful that refocuses why he's there at that moment, why he passed by. And he said in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man could work. Would you notice that phrase there? Jesus frequently through the Gospel of John would say something like this. I must work. I must go. I must do. He was saying, listen, I'm on a mission. Mission here and what I'm here to do. I must work the works of Him that set me while it is day. Now notice this Jesus was driven by compassion, but Jesus was also driven by conviction. He was there to accomplish the works of God. I remind you today, I'm thankful today when we leave today from the church this morning and tonight we're going to be thankful we came and assembled here. we're going to be thankful that our hearts were edified by the special music. we're going to be thankful today that God's word was open and preached. We're going to be thankful tonight we hear the testimony of this great missionary doing great work for God in the country of Laos. We're going to be thankful today for answer prayer, all those things. But as we go through all that today, we must remind ourselves the number one thing we want to focus on, just as our Lord Jesus Christ did, is we must work the works of Him that sent us while His day. Now, He was moved by a driving conviction. And the conviction is this. Our time, our time frame is the window of opportunities are closing on us. Dr. R said something about that the first hour. The windows of opportunity are closing on us. We're not getting any younger. We're getting older. Time is moving faster. Things are crowding up our lives, more things are drawing our attention, we're being pulled in more directions there's more things that we want to do there are places we want to go, there are people we want to see, all of those things are good things, but Jesus said we must, we must calibrate our thoughts and reminding ourselves we must work the works of him that sent us while it is day, but remind you today it's time to work for God, it's time to serve the Lord, it's time to focus our vision on the things of God, it's time for us to remind ourselves, listen, let's get serious for the Lord, let's reach some people for Christ in two or three weeks from now We have a wonderful special Sunday on Sunday, June 9th. We've set aside. We'll be honoring our our, our first responders, the San Leandro police and the Alameda County Sheriff and the Alameda County Fire and the Union City Police. And uh, we get to honor those and acknowledge those people. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And they'll showcase their equipment all along the wall here like they've done in the past. And they'll probably, I'm praying, they'll have 40 to 50 personnel here like they've done in the past, maybe more. We'll have special guests coming out. We've got thousands of big day uh, cards we want you to distribute and give out. And we're praying for many visitors to be here that day hear the gospel, and I just want to say today, I know in all of our busyness, with graduations, all that, we must work the work to him that sent us while it's day. We've got to take some cards and give them out and reach some people for the Lord. Brother Eugene and I were out soul winning on Thursday, and we took the afternoon aside to just kind of do some soul winning and knock on some doors and invite people out to our big day, and I told Brother Eugene as we pulled up to a street, I was praying over what street to go to, and, and I said, Brother Eugene, I, my wife and I started the street, and I'm not really sure where it's going to all go to, but we started the street and had a bunch of people we talked to, and I just felt like we need to finish that street up. And so we started knocking on doors, and Brother Eugene, of course, helps helps us with our Spanish-speaking department, and and I said, now, Brother Eugene, I don't know if we are going to be any Spanish-speaking people on the street. I really don't know. I, I, it's been a while since I've been on the street, but we're just going to go. And would you believe, out of 12 doors, we knocked on half of them were Spanish-speaking. Aren't you glad about that? And we just got to knock on doors and listen, out of Dr. R, out of 12, 12 doors, not, I think 10 people were home at, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we're thankful two people trusted Christ their Savior, amen. And we just got the gospel to them. And, and Brother Eugene was able to lead a Spanish-speaking lady to Christ. And then the last one we got to was a lady that was very fluent in English, found out she's, uh, she's, uh, she's uh, Mexican by ethnicity. And she trusted Christ, her Savior. And we're praying we'll get him into church by the big day. In fact, one of them committed to coming on the big day. And I'm just saying today, we're all busy. We have things to do. But we're, just like Dr. R said, he said, this summer I committed, I'm going to give a track out as often as I can. i want to give a gospel track and put in somebody's hand. And Jesus, as he's standing there, yes, this man needed attention. But he wanted the disciples and the Pharisees to realize, I haven't lost my focus of while I'm here. I haven't lost my focus of why, why I'm supposed to be here. He said, I must work the work to him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man work. And let me just say this before we move on. The day's gonna come where you can't serve God with all the energy you have right now. The day's gonna come where you don't have the same energy you had when you were 20. The day will come where perhaps someone's gonna try to influence you and your enthusiasm will be a little bit diminished. May I say today, do all you can for Jesus Christ. We must work the work to him that sent us while it is day. And so this morning we see Jesus being moved by compassion and Jesus being moved by conviction. And now he turns his attention to this blind man And we notice in verses 6 and 7 that this miracle would involve a powerful cure. Notice, Brother Carlo. Brother Carlo, if you can come up here. Brother Robbie, you just be ready in just a minute. Brother Carlo, if you can come up. You hear Brother Carlo come up here. You're going to be my blind man today. Amen? He doesn't walk like a blind man, but he's blind. Amen? You know? And notice after Jesus makes these declarations, he said, you know, this blind man's here. And he's going to come up here, Brother Carlo. Just close your eyes. You, you, I don't want you to see what I'm going to do to you, all right? <laughs> and um, verse 6 says, when he had thus spoken. Now, when you read this, it sounds a little bit crude, and it's not in that culture. But they did something that was common that day. Jesus bent on the ground. Now, I'm not going to do that. That would be crude here, but I'm not going to spit on the ground. And you have spit, and you have dirt. Here's dirt. Jesus spit on the dirt. The Bible says he rubbed it between his fingers. I won't put it on you, brother. He rubbed it between his fingers. Now, now watch this. Okay? Brother McCarlick, you open your eyes for a minute. Dirt in the eyes of a seeing man would be an irritation, it would be blinding, close your eyes. But dirt, I didn't do it. (laughs) But mud, from the spit of the Holy Savior, from the dirt that the Creator of all the earth made, God who's in control. God, who's all powerful. Yet it's mud. But whose spit is on it? Who's in control? Dirt in the eyes of a seeing man will blind him. But dirt in the eyes of a blind man, touched by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, gives him sight. And Jesus touches man's eyes. Walk up to the blue here. Pretend you're going to wash your face. Don't put your hand as dirty, okay? (laughs) And people are watching this. And to the common man, they're looking at this element of mud. How can mud help a blind man? Now, let me just say this this morning. Jesus didn't have to use mud. He could have just spoke the word and the man would have saw but he wanted them to understand that he was, not only is he the light of the world, but he's God who's in control. He's God who's all-powerful. And Jesus, he's standing there, he takes his simple mind, they're watching and saying, what is this going on? There's this element of the mud that Jesus has at his hands, and, and he just touches this man's eyes, he's able to see. But notice this, he touches the man's eyes, and he makes a statement, if you go there in verse 6, he says, he anointed or covered the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So you notice, his entire eyes are covered with this, I mean, it's crusted over with dirt and mud. Now remember, this man has never seen before. He has no idea what people look like. In fact, if you read the, the journals, the, the journals that the ophthalmologists and people like that, the seeing eye people talk about, they'll tell you that many people, if they get cured from their, their blindness, able to see, it's very blinding to them still because they, they still don't understand shapes. They're, there's this cognitive impairment. They, they can't connect shapes and designs and all that. And, and light is very bright for them. And They understand this. But I want you to understand this man. That watch what happens. This man, he has the element of the mud and then we see we see something else. Jesus now he still can't see yet. Okay, this mud is on his eyes. He's caked over with mud on his eyes. And Jesus gives him a mandate. He gives him this essential mandate, this, the exercise of mandate. He says he says in verse seven. He says, "Go wash by the pool in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation set." Now Jesus knew where he was at. He knew everything was going on there. And this pool of Siloam, which men sent, was fed by the, by the pools, the, 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 the fountain of Gihon, which was coming up. There was a very central source where the water came in. And so the pool of Siloam was a very familiar place, and he, it was very close by to where the sand. Now, remember, Jesus knew all about this boy before it was going to happen. And so he tells his man to come to that location. And he says, Sir, so I want you to come there. And he says, You got money. I I want you to go to the pool of Siloam. Now, remember, uh, he still has somebody leading him along the way. Someone has to guide this man. He, he doesn't know where the pool of Siloam is, he knows about the name, but he still can't see. He's got mud on his eyes and somebody has to lead him there. So somebody leads this man to the pool of Siloam. He goes there and, he's, and now he says here, Now go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now I want you to understand something. When you and I read that, it just sounds so simple. It just sounds like he did that. But you know when God asks you and I to do something like that, when he tells us go and wash, there's a lot of hesitancy on our part. You see, this man was given a command. Anytime you find the Lord Jesus Christ working in a person's life, there will always be a command associated with it. Now, this man was told, you yeah, know, go wash in the pool of slum. Now, he could have become a skeptic at that moment and said, I'm not going to do it because he said, first of all, you put dirt on my face and I got mud in my eyes. I'm not really happy about this. He could have got upset about that. And he could have said, I'm just going to walk away. I don't know what this is all about. This could be, as far as he's concerned, he might think, this is nothing but a bunch of nonsense. I don't want everything to do. With it, but the man notice he doesn't argue with Jesus, he doesn't debate with Jesus, he just obeys Jesus. Amen? That's a good thing. He obeys Jesus. And so this man goes and he goes right up to this water. Someone leads him to the pool of Siloam and he starts to wash his eyes. And notice verse 7 here, it says, And he went his way, therefore. He obeyed what the Lord told him to do. Can I say something to you? Maybe the missing element in our lives, why perhaps our prayers are not being answered, or we're feeling like the like there's there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a the inner ability in our life to do something. It might be traced to the fact that perhaps there's not obedience in our life. It could be traced to the fact that we're not obeying the Lord and doing exactly what He wants us to do. Because He knew this man wanted to see. And He knew this man would be delighted that he could see. And this this man did not complain that he had dirt in his eye. But he wanted to see if the man would obey Him. Because if the man didn't go there, he wouldn't have seen. And so he had this obedience he had towards the Lord's command. As he did so, notice we see the excitement of of, of the miracle. He went, therefore, and he washed, and he came seeing. Now this man washed his eyes. He washed his eyes, and he opened his eyes for the first time. Now unlike what we'll see in medical science today, someone who's first given the ability to see, it takes a while before everything sets in. This man's sight was restored, was given to him, just as he was born with sight. He opened his eyes, and can you imagine, as he washed his eyes for the last time, and the dirt is removed, and the mud, removed. He opens his eyes and I think the very first things out of this man's mouth were, I can see. I can see. I can see. You're Justin Fong. You're uglier than I thought. You're Justin Fong. You're Rob Curry. You're Dr. Rock Rasmussen. My, Dr. R, I thought you were younger than you look. Oh my, your voice depicted you're younger. He said, I can see. He said, wow, look at these people. I can understand. Hey, where's Billy? Where's Susie? Well, what's going on? He said, I can see. I can see. Listen, this man for the very first time, there's an excitement that he could see. He could see people and he could see things. He saw the temple for the very first time. He saw the shapes and the colors and all of that grasped his mind. He saw for the first time what it meant. No longer did this man live in a world of darkness, he could see. No longer did this man require someone to lead him about, he could see. No longer did this man have to live a life of begging and poverty. Hey, beloved, this man could see. You can sit down. And it might be this morning, we, you're somebody, Jesus needs to touch your eyes so you can see. The psalmist prayed, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Listen today, you might be a sinner, you're not saved, you're not sure if you're going to heaven. Maybe today you need the Lord Jesus Christ to touch your eyes and you can see him who was lifted up on high and crucified on a wooden cross to pay for all your sins. It might be today that he needs to touch your eyes so you can realize today that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by him. It might be today you need Jesus Christ to touch your spiritual eyes, brother and sister in Christ. It might be you need him to touch your eyes and see multitudes of people lost and going to hell without the Savior. It might be today those of us who've been in the church for a many long period of time, we need our eyes opened again because the Bible says where there be no vision, the people perish. And maybe we need God to open our eyes to see a Bay Area lost and in need of the gospel, and a world in need of the gospel, and a state here in the state of California that's in need of more churches being started, and more soul winners on, on organized soul winning, and more people getting concerned for reaching people for Christ. Whatever it may be today, it might be we need the Lord to touch our eyes with divine mud and put it over our eyes so we can wash in the water of the Word of God. And as we wash in the water of the Word of God, we can say like that, man, I can see, I can see the vision. I can see what God wants to do. I can see what God wants to accomplish. I can see it. Oh, may I say this morning? Let's go open our eyes and see what God wants us to see today. And so this morning we see this man, the blind man in his malady, and we see the blind man in his miracle. Would you notice the blind man in his master? We're not done yet. Tozer said this: we need a baptism of clear seeing. We desperately need seers. Prophets, if you would, who can see through the mist, Christian leaders with prophetic vision. Unless they come soon, it will be too late for this generation. And if they do come, we will no doubt crucify a few of them in the name of our worldly orthodoxy. This man could see for the first time, and everybody around him is not so excited as we read the rest of this chapter. Everybody around him is kind of wondering, they're, they're not really sure. Is this really the same man? Is this really the same man? Is this the same man that used to beg for alms? Is this the same man that, that used to cry here on the corner? Is this really the same man? And we notice some things here that, that as, as we saw in the beginning, verse 3, Jesus said something very important as we, go, as we finish this morning. Jesus said, the works of God should be made manifest in this man. Now, Jesus isn't done with him. Jesus is not done with him, and he's not done with Jesus. There's still one more thing that has to happen here. And so this man is seeing, if you notice verse 7, he's seeing, he's excited, there's excitement, there's enthusiasm, honesty, there's all this commotion going on, this blind man can see. And then we get to verse 8, the Bible says, the neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind said, it's not this he that sat and begged, they couldn't believe what they saw. Now he believed what he saw, they couldn't believe what they saw. They saw this man excited, and enthused, and happy. He was able to see, and they're, they're not very excited about it. And we see some things unfold because Jesus Christ is not done working in this man's life. He has something else he wants us to see happening in this man's life. And it has to do with this man's relationship with God. Hey, listen, a lot of us are, are, are such temperamental people. We want God to do something for us without having the relationship with God. God wants you to have the relationship with him. We can't be like beggars begging for something and not just, not well, that's fine and we get what we want and there's no relationship. God wants to have the relationship with him. And so notice this man, as we see this blind man as we close. Notice this blind man that before all his life up until that moment, blindness was his master but that would change because now Jesus would touch this man's eye and Jesus Christ would be the master of this man's life. Now notice what happens. We see a couple things as we close. Notice this man, how Jesus manifests him because he's not really sure who Jesus is. He just knows Jesus touched his eyes and he can see. Notice this blind man. Confession. He's brought before these people. They, they ask him what's going on. He's brought before the Pharisees. They don't, they're not happy what's going on with this man. And uh, they're 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 just, they're just they're in denial about it. Notice verse 9, they said, How are thine eyes open? And he gives a confession about all these things, and, and he makes a confession about Jesus Christ. And let me say this today: when you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, the first thing God wants puts on your heart and that you want to do is to confess Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Matthew 10:32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Now I'm thankful today we had five believers who stood before us publicly and through the the ordinance of baptism they confess that Jesus Christ is their Savior and they confess they're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. But listen as a believer you want it known to everyone beginning with your brothers and sisters in Christ and then to your immediate family members and to those people that you associate with on a daily basis you want them to know that you're not ashamed of Jesus, that you love the Lord and you want to confess him. And so these men come to him his neighbors come to him and the Pharisees come to him. And they asked him, how were thine eyes opened? Now notice in four places, this man gives a compelling confession of Jesus Christ. In verse 15, he said, he put clay upon my eyes, and I watched, and now see. Now he gave a clear truthful confession. In verse 17, they said, what sayest thou of him? He said, he is a prophet. Now he didn't know who Jesus was before that, but he says he must be a prophet. Notice in verse 25, one thing I know, and that is this, whereas I was blind, now I see. In verses 30 to 33, he makes a confession about Christ. He even says to them, in just dis- in a very, very uh, convicting way. He says, he said in verse 37, I've told you already and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And so this man is making confession that Jesus Christ has touched his life. And listen, the greatest thing you could do today as a believer is make a confession. Let people know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you haven't gotten baptized, you need to get baptized as soon as possible. We're lining up folks that have gotten saved recently. We're lining up the dates for people to get baptized as those five today. And I pray that you'll be one of those. You'll do it sooner. Or not later. But listen, at home and at work, wherever you may be, make a confession of who Jesus Christ is. Let others know that you're not ashamed of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy 1.12 for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believe it, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I like what Paul said, I know whom I believe it, and I'm not ashamed, and I'm persuaded who he is. And today, we see this man who makes his confession. He's unashamed that his eyes were open. He's unashamed that he's given sight. He's unashamed to be associated with Jesus. He's unashamed of the fact that Jesus touched his life. Hey, they be thankful today if you're saved. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Just identify said, I'm glad today that Jesus Christ is my Savior. We see this man his confession, but quickly notice this man and his consequences. Now I'm going to tell you today, if you take that stand, I'm going to let you know, if you take a stand for Jesus Christ, and you start going soul winning, and you start giving out tracts, and you start telling your family about Jesus, they're not all going to be happy with it. Notice along the way, this man had a lot of problems. First of all, the Pharisees criticized him, they slandered him, and they doubted him. Look at verse 18. They said some very cruel things to him. The Bible says, but the Jews did not believe concerning." him that had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. Then notice verse 28. In verse 28 it says "Well, they, that they reviled him. They said thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples.' The Pharisees drew the line. They said okay, if you're just like him, we want nothing to do with you. What a sad thing. I realized this man got, got, got healed on the Sabbath. And I realized they had their respect upon the Sabbath. But Jesus didn't let the custom and the days and the Sabbath prohibit the power of God from working. Now let me say today, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday or if it's Monday Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday, Saturday, whatever day of the week, God does not want to be impaired or inhibited by you and me. He wants his power to work through us no matter what day of the week it is. No matter what time of the day it may be, he wants his power to work. Don't say because it's midnight God can't work. God does some of his greatest works at midnight if you read the Bible there. And so this man, he's, he's criticized by the Pharisees. And then they throw him out, they throw him out to, to hang. They go to his parents and his parents, they knew that if they identified that this was their son, they, and said that yes, he was healed by Jesus Christ, that they would be cast out or excommunicated from the, from the temple. So they said, well, you know what? He said, don't want you to go ask him what happened to him. His parents didn't want to identify him. So his own parents, if you would, almost threw him under the bus. And then, notice in verse 34, we find that the Pharisees excommunicate this man. They answered and said unto him, verse 34, thou was Altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Hey, this man bore some consequences. Now, I'm saying to you this morning, we see this man, he's all excited, he's running around saying so he could see. They're asking him who touched him, he makes a confession, Jesus Christ. And now, all of a sudden, in just, in just a matter of time, the same group of people should have been excited about what God was doing in his life, what God had done in his life. These same people are persecuting him. Now, let me say this to you today as Christians we ought to be excited and thankful for every soul to get saved. We ought to be thankful for anything good God does somebody's life. Amen? We ought to be thankful for every prayer that's answered. We ought to be thankful for every offering that's given. We ought to be thankful for every group that gathers. We ought to be thankful for high days and low days. We ought to be thankful for everything God does. And so this man is at a point where if you get to verse 34, he's now had the bottom drop out from under him. This is where Jesus comes in. We see him in his confession. We see him in his consequences as we're done. Notice this man makes this man in his conversion. And this is the climax of the story. He's been excommunicated. Being excommunicated was, hey, you don't touch this guy. Stay away from him. All along the way from verses 8 to verse 35, Jesus is there, but he's in the background. Now, can I tell you, when you go through a difficulty in life, Jesus is always there. He may not manifest he's there at the moment, but he's there. He knows. He knows. And you'll notice this morning in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Now Jesus was not done with this man. This man got his sight, but he needed salvation. This man could see, but he needed Christ. He needed the Savior. And he says, "This I believe on the Son of God. Now, he knew Jesus was, was someone to touch him. He needed to know at that moment he was more than just a prophet. And he was more than just a miracle worker. He needed to bear, bear in his mind, accept his heart. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, thank God, if you believe today that Jesus Christ is a historical figure, you believe that he's a teacher, that's a good thing. But today, you need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus Christ is Savior, that he died for your sins and offers to you the free gift of eternal life. And so we see this dialogue unfolding between him and Jesus. He said, do you believe on the Son of God? And he said in verse, verse 36, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And In verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and is he that talketh to thee? And notice this man in verse 38, Lord, I believe. Listen, what that man needed more than anything else, he needed Jesus to come alongside of him. He needed to realize that the process was not complete. Thank God he got his sight first, but Jesus realized he wasn't complete until he got salvation. Can I say this morning as I close, you're not complete until you get saved. You're not complete. Because you're still a sinner on the way to hell. You need Christ to save you from your sin. You're not complete unless you take Jesus by faith. You repent of your sins and say, I need Jesus Christ this morning as my Savior. And so this man, what he needed at that moment, he was thankful he could see. But he was thankful he had the Savior. Jesus was there. And Jesus knew his problem. And Jesus didn't focus on the problem. Jesus focused on the man's soul. He said, you believe on the Son of God. He said, who is he, Lord, that I can believe? He said, I am he. And he believed on Jesus Christ. Now, believing means he took him with all his heart. He accepted with all his soul. He accepted without reservation. He didn't understand all the the books of the Bible, but he understood one thing. The power of God is here, and Jesus is here, and he offers me eternal life. And if I take him right now, I can be saved from my sins. And right now, if you take Jesus Christ, your Savior, you can be saved from your sins too. It's not a progressive uh, uh, movement that you have to go through. Right there, instantaneously, you take Jesus Christ, as Savior, you can be saved. And this man, you talk about his life being changed. Look at verse 30, 30, 38 again. He simply said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, you see, when you get saved, you should have a desire in your heart. You want to worship God. You want to honor the Lord. Now, this man was a beggar. He had nothing, physically, listen, financially, he had nothing to offer. Financially, he had nothing to offer. In terms of skill sets, all he knew was Begging. Hey, Dr. R, in a common church as today, a guy like that come to our church, we would would want to look at his resume. His resume would be blank. He had nothing to offer the church. But you know what? The most important thing he gave was his life to Jesus Christ. And he came and worshiped him. Can I tell you what the greatest thing you need to do in your life and I need to do with my life is to worship the Lord. He he, he didn't have to go through theological classes and go to Bible college to figure out. God made him to glorify him. God saved him to glorify him. And God saved you to glorify him. And God wants to save you today so you can understand worship is not just emotion that will get you to God. Worship is emotion that proceeds from the heart. After you get Jesus Christ as Savior, you want to worship him. You want to adore him. You want to love him. You want to show your affection for him. You want to know, Jesus, I love thee. And so as we close this morning, are you blinded? we able to see. As Satan blinded your minds that you can't see, are you needed the Savior to take some dirt, common dirt and common water and turn it into mud and may the hand of the Savior touch your life? And maybe he has to put an irritation in our eyes to open our eyes to see what's there, to see the need there. It might be God has to put an irritation, something to catch our attention, to see it. Whatever it may be today, I encourage us as Christians to realize God wants to open your eyes to bigger opportunities. He wants you to see the possibilities and not the problem. He wants you to see the opportunities and not the obstacles. He wants you to see him looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. he wants you, if you're not saved, to see today that you can be saved. And today you can be born into the family of God. Open your eyes today. Open your eyes. Let him touch your eyes. Let him touch your life.